0: Father, I come before you now and ask that you will uh, be a part of our Bible study here and uh, that you will open up your word so that we can understand it. We'll open up our hearts so that we will be receptive to whatever it is you want to tell us. And uh, just pray for these requests that were made earlier and others that might be on people's hearts and minds, um, that you'll take care of people's health and um, take care of those that are traveling and people's finances, um, people's relationships, Um, those who are are struggling in various ways. And uh, just pray, Father, that uh, you will provide the wisdom that is necessary uh, in situations where people are in need of that wisdom to know what to do in relationships and all these sorts of things. Um, We thank you for your word and for giving us direction that although this was written a very long time ago, it still gives us direction today. And uh, just pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so uh, so that we don't jump into the middle of, uh, of everything, um, I want to catch us up to speed here. Um, it's, really, it's really good that we're, we're starting where we're starting because it's sort of a recap, uh, so to speak. Um, so 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6 is where we're going to be the Apostle Paul, and I'll just read 6 and 7 here. The Apostle Paul writes, I have applied all these things, and we'll talk about what all these things are in just a second. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, Why do you boast as if you did not receive it so remember what we're dealing with here is this division in the corinthian church over different leaders so uh, you should be fairly aware of who the apostle paul is he's the one that started the church there and wrote most of the new testament the apostle to the gentiles apollos was a teacher who came along a little bit later and uh, he was very, very schooled, versed uh, in the scriptures, and was a believer. But um, at the point when we are introduced to him in Acts, he had not even been baptized in the name of Jesus. He, would, he was just acquainted with uh, John's baptism, which would have meant uh, John the Baptist, right? So um, this isn't to... Try to break baptism down into multiple phases or something that all of us should go through what happened was john preached the need for repentance and pointed to messiah and people who received that message were baptized by him in the jordan river later those who received jesus as the messiah were baptized by first christ disciples and then followers later not just in the Jordan River, but everywhere. And of course, this is what we do down to our day. In fact, our church is going to uh, do baptism on Sunday. I need to remind the pastor of Freeman Heights about that so the baptistry will actually be full because it would be bad to get over there, and it's not. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got three people that we're going to baptize. So we still are doing what they did. We're baptizing people. Um, and the name of Jesus just means... Uh, the way Jesus dictated or commanded that we baptize people. So typically, most uh, churches that are gospel-believing churches that will baptize, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So uh, there's some controversy among some churches about whether you should baptize and say in the name of Jesus only, or whether you should say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus commanded in Acts, Acts Matthew chapter 28, um, he said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have taught you. So that's the way we baptize. We baptize, and you'll, you know, if you're here Sunday and you choose to go with us over to Freeman Heights for the baptisms, then you'll see, I put them under the water, and I say, buried with Christ in baptism. that comes from Romans chapter six, right? Bring them up out of the water and say, raised with Christ to walk in newness of life, okay? But before I say that, I raise my hand kind of like, you know, taking an oath. Because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But you know, I can remember at least one time when I said in the name of Jesus, and I wasn't even thinking, right? So I'm not trying to change theology and all this. Sometimes I think we just put too much weight on minor issues, but when the scripture in Acts talks about being baptized in the name of Jesus, it's not just words that it's talking about. When we do something in the name of Jesus, it doesn't mean I walk around and say, in the name of Jesus this, and in the name of Jesus that. No, what it means is I'm doing it the way Jesus would do it, right? So you guys know what a power of attorney is, right? So you get someone's power of attorney, you can sign their checks. You can do anything legally that they would do. You are acting in their behalf. Do you realize that when Jesus said you can do this in his name, that he's giving you that kind of authority? It's not waving a magic wand over something and saying in the name of Jesus and hoping something will happen. Right, you're walking and talking in His authority. So what that means is, I need to do it like Jesus would do it. I'm not taking His authority and misusing it. So when you get power of attorney in, over someone's affairs, this is a trust, and the trust is that you are going to act as they would act. So this could be someone that's you know in the hospital and they're they're very very sick. Okay. Um, Perhaps they're unconscious or in a coma, something like that. Someone has to handle their affairs. Well, Jesus is not in a coma, so that's not what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to tell you is you do it the way that person would do it because you're acting in their behalf. You're not taking their authority and acting in your behalf. That's not what in the name of Jesus means. In the name of Jesus means I am so obedient to Him. that's just what flows out of me. I'm doing what Jesus would do, right? It's not my will, but his will that is being done. And I'm not trying to imagine what Jesus would do. I have his spirit living inside of me. So there is that movement of the spirit, right? Uh, The Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, we could call the Holy Spirit, at least at one point in Romans, uh, that's the name we are given. (coughs) All right, so um apollos is this uh, this early figure in christian history that is uh, a a very very intelligent um, well-schooled teacher and so apparently he came in after paul had started the church and this was a procedure that they followed he came into the church and continued teaching them so that they could grow up. This is very similar to what happened in the first church, the first Gentile church, I should say, that was started in Antioch um, when the Apostle Paul was not yet the Apostle Paul. He'd been called by the Lord Jesus, right? Um, he had gotten himself ready to preach the gospel, and then he had been taken back to his home and, in Tarsus. And that's where he was for a while. Well, when this Gentile church started in Antioch, Barnabas, and that's, by the way, Barnabas is a nickname, if you will, okay? Uh, His real name is Joseph, and he was from the island of Cyprus, Joseph of Cyprus. But they all started calling him Barnabas because he was such an encourager. Barnabas means Bar, that's the name in Hebrew for son, right? Barnabas, son of encouragement. So Barnabas goes and finds Paul and brings him down to the church in Antioch. And Paul is a teacher there helping them to understand what they have come to receive. So as we mentioned some weeks ago, um, there are two phases in your your spiritual growth, if you will, uh, in your learning the scriptures. The first is that you learn the kerygma. Okay, can you say that word, kerygma? right? And that's the gospel. And you get yourself rooted in that. And you understand the basis of the gospel, that you're not in this because of your righteousness. You're in this because of what Jesus has done on the cross, right? You understand that that there's power in the blood, that Christ has forgiven you of your sins, that he's given you right standing with God, and that's because he died on the cross, and he was buried, and he rose on the... That's the kerygma. That's the initial preaching of the gospel. Some people just kind of stop there. Actually, some people don't even get that, but nonetheless. When you move on from the kerygma, then we uh, enter into this lengthy time of teaching that in the early church was called the didache. So in fact, there is an actual document called the Didache, the teaching of the 12 apostles. Now it comes after the original 12 apostles did their first teaching, but it does reflect uh, some very early second century teaching in the church. But it gives us this understanding that now we're moving from being grounded in the gospel, which we need to be, building this foundation and now we're gonna build the building, right? You're gonna be built up as part of this temple that God is building. And this is the language that Paul uses in chapter three here. Well, that's that, that teaching process that lasts the rest of your life that results in your continued sanctification that is becoming more holy, becoming more like Jesus, that's the didache. That's what Apollos did. He came into the church after Paul and he began to help them to understand how they needed to live their lives and and also to give them sort of uh, some apologetics, if you will. When we're introduced to Apollos, he seems to do a really good job of refuting the religious leaders who were coming up against Jesus, right? Apologetics is important, right? That means being able to explain why you believe what you believe. It's not just a feeling. There's good reasons to believe what you believe, right? So, um, however, these people, as I've mentioned before, were not unlike us. They were fragmented, they were divided into these different camps. Now, Paul and Apollos weren't trying to gain followers, but see, they were sort of used to this, right? You go all the way back to Pythagoras. I didn't have a math teacher in the room, you know who Pythagoras was, the Pythagorean theorem and so forth. Pythagoras actually had followers, he had disciples. This is, you know, it wasn't just math, it was, it was a way of life. It's like you know, I teach karate on Tuesday nights. It's, it's a way of life. Uh, there's a video, uh, uh, not just a video, it, there's a young man in Japan who uh, teaches in a, a very famous karate school there and he's got a YouTube channel, and he does some really cool stuff on his youtube channel and he's young he's got to be early twenties, um, which all of the popular youtube YouTube channels have young people because nobody wants to watch us old people, yeah, so you yeah, know I put this on YouTube, and five people will watch it because <laughs> I'm not pretty, I understand <laughs> anyway, but uh, this young man went and interviewed all of these uh, these karate senseis in Okinawa, which our style that I teach in here is is Okinawan karate, and you understand from all, and these are all senseis that are major, not like him, he's a young guy, these are old guys, older than me, and they've been teaching for 50 and 60 years, and he was asking them, you know, why do you, you know, what keeps you motivated, and you know, what's your favorite thing, and all these sorts of things, and with all of them, it's because it's a way of life, that is their church, right? So, yeah, you, you, you've got this, this way of life. So, in fact, karate is often called, in Japan, it would be referred to as karate-do, right? It's the karate way of life. That's what it means, the karate way. And uh, so uh, there's another word for that in Japanese, and our style of karate, I say our style, the style I teach here, is called ishinru. Which means one heart way, right? The way of one heart. And that was the name of the style uh, as uh, Tetsuo Shimabuku named it. But once again, there it is. There's that, that word karate do or Ishinru. It's a way of life. That's what your Christian faith is supposed to be. It's not just eternal life as something in the future that I will receive it's eternal life that you're living out now it's a different way of living your life right it's christian dough right it's christian rue that's what we're doing and so this teaching and that's the reason you're here tonight presumably um, is to receive that teaching so that you'll understand how the word of god is guiding us to live our lives. Well, that's what Apollos is doing. But these folks, not unlike our denominations today, not unlike different karate styles, all right? There's Ishin-Ru, there's Shorin-Ru, there's Gojiru, ru there's Matsubayashi-Ru, there's Ouichi-Ru. There are all of these different styles of karate. And people that are focused on that style. Now, this was more the case in the past than it is now. But it was like, that was your style and that was what you focused on and you didn't pay attention to other you know, masters and other styles. Well, it's kind of interesting. Karate is not unlike Christianity. It starts off as one thing, right? In fact, believe it or not, this is great. If you look at the early teaching in Acts, Before Christians were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. There it is. Well, why is that? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there it is, right? The one heart way, the Christian way, it's the way that we live our lives. And unfortunately, then what happens is you have different notable teachers and they may seek to gain a following or they may not as these guys they weren't seeking to get a following okay but people are loyal to leaders aren't they no that's my that's my leader right that's my preacher that's my teacher that's my you know paul said i'm a father to you in corinth and he wasn't ashamed to say that right i introduced you to the gospel but he wanted them to follow jesus not paul the only way he wanted them to follow Paul is he said, follow me as I follow Christ. So as I'm being a good example of Jesus, then follow me. Other than that, I'm pointing the way to Jesus, right? So you have all this fragmentation today, uh, broken down into you know, denominations and so forth. So it's very, very similar. So these things that he's been talking about, let's, let's remember that the issue that is being addressed at this point is division in the church, and that division had taken the form of parties who identified themselves with various Christian leaders. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter, I am of Christ, That's, those were the ones that he named, right? That's who they were saying. Well, all of those Christian leaders would be pointing to Jesus, right? So what followed the identification of that problem in the church was Paul's explanation as to why it was wrong. So I've got a little outline here, one. It is Christ who is the source of salvation as expressed in the gospel, not wisdom, persuasion, or charisma of human leaders. So you got these, there were other leaders that were coming in that were seeking to gain a following for themselves. Paul constantly fought against uh, what we have come to call the Judaizers. And these were those who they believed Jesus was Messiah, but they said, no, you have to become a Jew if you wanna follow Jesus as Christ, as Messiah. And what the Apostle Paul was teaching was, no, you don't have to become a Jew first. And then he got that validated and verified by the original followers of Jesus at the Jerusalem Council. And you can find that in Acts chapter 15, when they said, no, we're not gonna load the the Gentile disciples up with all of the the Jewish law. They're not gonna have to dress like we dress and you know, not cut their beard and, uh, you know, not eat certain foods and all this. All we want is for them to do these specific things. Uh, don't eat meat sacrifice to idols. Don't eat what is strangled. Uh, don't uh, don't eat anything that has blood in it. And this was so that they wouldn't offend other Gentiles. That's the eating meat sacrifice to idols. And so they wouldn't offend the Jews who were in every city, right? So uh, the prohibition against eating meat with the blood in it, or meat that's strangled, goes all the way back to uh, the Noahic covenant in Genesis. And it was uh, the Jewish respect for life. The, you know, the, the understanding was the life is in the blood. So you don't eat the blood. Life is in the blood. We respect life, right? And this is something we could learn from today. Um, so Christ then is the source of salvation, not some teacher, Uh, not some teaching, not knowledge. Now, Gnosticism hadn't made its way uh, into uh, their world quite yet, but not too long after this, there was this understanding that knowledge, special knowledge was what saved you, right? This is the Gnostic understanding, and Gnostics were essentially Neoplatonists, right? Plato, the philosopher 400 years before Jesus, uh, who taught dualism, Right? That is, that there is a hard separation between mind and body. And Neoplatonists said, well, the body is also, and anything material, is also evil. Only mind, or what we would call spirit, is good or holy. And so they responded differently to that. Some of them said, therefore, it doesn't matter what you do with the body. You know, eat, drink, be merry, whatever because that's not what's gonna get you into this eternal life that they were uh, propagating. And then there were others that were uh, of the opinion that you should deny the body, that you should treat it harshly, that you should seek to separate yourself from it as much as you could. Interestingly, these are both Gnostic responses to this hardcore dualism. Well, that came in later, but again, that's another way of understanding salvation, right? So the Apostle Paul teaches, and here's a summation in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross, he said, is folly to these people. It's folly to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, the message of the cross is another way of saying the gospel, is another way of saying the charisma. He said, we preach Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God, right? That's in one twenty-three and 24. So this is, again, I am helping you to understand what he means here in chapter 4 when he said, I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit. Um, he continues in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, and he says, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, because wisdom doesn't save you, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God, okay? Then these Christian leaders such as Paul and apostles, Paul and Apollos, Apollos sounds like apostle and I'm wearing retainers and so I talk like this a little bit, right? Um, He uh, likens himself and Apollos to farmers, right? He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So once again, what is he saying here? He's saying, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos. So I'm applying this metaphor uh, and saying we're like farmers. I planted, I planted the seed. Miss Mary is a farmer back in the day. Everybody else in the room would probably know this too, but I'll ask an expert. If you plant the seed, and there's no irrigation and there's no rain, no growth, right? You may have done everything you were supposed to do. You plowed, you planted, but if there's no water, it doesn't grow. Again, presumably that's why you're here, right? I probably didn't plant the seed. You probably received the seed somewhere else, the seed of the word of God, the seed of the gospel. But I'm watering and watering and watering. Okay. But God gives the growth. I don't, I don't make you grow. No other teacher makes you grow. You grow because that's in the nature of things. Okay. So, I mean, have you ever thought of what a miracle it is that you take this little dried out looking thing and you put it in the dirt for goodness sake? And we just take this for granted. And if you water it and let it get the proper sunlight and all man, it grows up and might be a flower or might be fruit. And, you know, whatever. By the way, our flowers are dying over there in our little chair. So, I was watering them and everything, and I just don't have a green thumb. They're dead. I don't know what the deal is. Are yours dying over there at your place too? It's just, they're just all like this. And I was so proud because I moved it around to the side because they were getting sun and they would get the rain and now they're just... (laughs) Miss Mary, I have to have you look at them. Figure out what's going on. All right, so then he says that uh, Christian leaders, he moves on from the illustration of uh, them being farmers. He says Christian leaders are like builders. So in uh, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, he says, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, which is Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I I preach the kerygma. I laid the foundation. So you can figure out that Apollos is helping them to grow into that building, right? He's doing the, the didache. And then he gets more specific and he says that we are being built as God's temple. And this is the very important uh, verses in 316 and 17. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? Not you individually, but you all. Now, he does say individually later. He said, You personally, you as an individual, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But when we look at this passage in 316 and 17, he's saying to all of them, Do y'all not know? That y'all are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's what it is. It's the second person plural in Greek. And we've lost that in English, except in the South, <laughs> right? Um, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you or among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So he's warning them, don't divide up into these camps and destroy God's temple. That's not healthy. God will destroy you if you... Hey, listen. It's not bad to think critically. That's different than being critical of people. I think that there's not enough critical thinking today. There's a whole lot of critical acting and critical feeling toward other people without a lot of thought behind it, right? And so it's not bad to evaluate churches denominations and so forth and lay them alongside the scripture but you can do that without being critical and judgmental of people but be careful when you start criticizing churches church leaders denominations out of hand and i've seen this you know as a as a pastor i've seen this my whole life there are people that are just they've been hurt in church um there are people that are resentful or disgruntled, or you know who knows what's going on in their lives. Uh, I'm not trying to judge them back, but there is a, uh, a tendency to be very very harsh, hateful, um, divisive toward. They'll they'll call it uh, organized religion, perhaps, right? Institutional religion. I love the pastor that uh was preaching at the church where I came to faith uh used to address this issue. This is obviously this is an old issue, right? And people, well, I don't believe in organized religion. <laughs> and uh the, the pastor at that church uh said, "Well, what what is the problem that you have? You just don't like organization or <laughs> You know? So, no, I think the problem people have is they don't like religion. And so that's why when I started this church, I really made every effort to help us not feel like we're being religious. There's just a, for lack of a better term, there's just an ickiness to that religious feel, right? But the truth is different, right? Now, interestingly, the word religion is not a bad word. It just, it goes all the way back to a word that just means to attach yourself. So if I if I understand that to mean I'm attaching myself to Christ, I'm attaching myself to God, it's not a bad word. It's just got a lot of baggage. And, you know, if, if you pay attention to anything that's related, really, there, there's, and again, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. I'm just coming from my perspective, okay? I'm not a Catholic. And uh, there is a station on... Uh, cable called uh, I think it's ETWN the eternal word something network or something like that but they used to have this nun on there okay and I see I again I'm not a Catholic so I I can't understand why people want to do this but she there was this nun and you know she was wearing her habit, and she's you know standing in front of all these other nuns, and she would talk like this, and they would chant like this, and I just, I just, I, I'm not trying to make fun of you, but I I don't get it. I it, that's not helping me, right? That's this is to me that's what feels like religion, right? But you know it's also kind of the judgmental feeling that you get. And this is why it's interesting, because what used to be the province of church and religion and so forth, as far as being sanctimonious, self-righteous, pharisaical, I see it in politics today. I see it on both sides. There are people on the left and they just think they're right and you're wrong. And we're gonna punish you for it. And there's people on the right that, yeah, I can't believe you're, you know, you're such an idiot and a moron and, you know, you just don't understand. So, see, it just goes to show it's an attitude. It's a temperament. And you can apply it in a religious context or you can apply it in a political context and so forth. Um, But nonetheless, the Apostle Paul warned us, don't be tearing down the church. Try to build up the church, Right. All right, so then the next phrase here. Gosh, it only took me 40 minutes to go through one phrase and one verse. That's okay. Well, I wanted to go back over what we've done. I've applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit so that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against... What does it mean to be puffed up? Proud. Proud. (laughs) Have you ever wondered or thought, and maybe you already know, when somebody is acting proud or arrogant or conceited, have you ever wondered why they do this? They want everybody to look look down at everybody. I'm looking down at you. Even if I'm shorter than you, I can go. Right? I want to be above you. It's exactly right, so puffed up. I like those, uh, uh, y- have you seen those, those puffer fish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They do. They do. Weird. Them. And they probably do that they to look scary. So they look scary, and also so they can't be swallowed. So that's... <laughs> that's pretty smart. All right, so in verse 21, the Apostle Paul had already warned them not to boast in men. So puffed up is another way to express this idea of boasting, Mm. boasting, I'm better than you. We see this a lot in sports, right? Certain athletes like to tell you how much better they are than other athletes. It's turned into like a cartoon character, caricature in professional wrestling, um, which is, that's basically a soap opera for men. (laughs) <laughs> it really is. It's hysterical. I never got into professional wrestling ever, except when I started this church. We had a group of young men who would come over to my house every Monday night for the big, whatever it was called, Raw or something like that. The all these goofy and back then, this this was this was when The Rock was still just a wrestler. He wasn't, you know, this actor. All right, and. Uh, So for whatever reason, if you watch certain things on YouTube, it will recommend other things. And so it like recommended, you know, uh, returns and blah, blah, blah to wrestling. And so I was like, I clicked this. So here's all these guys that had gone out and made it big uh, as movie stars that came back. And The Rock was one of them. And I mean to tell you, they put on a show. It's incredible. I mean, they've got video screens and explosions and smoke. And boy, if there wasn't a a better way of saying get puffed up, this is it, right? That's, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about is um, being uh, puffed up and putting yourself above other people and so forth. So what he's saying here is, in effect, don't use us, Paul and Apollos, to divide the church. One of us is not better than the other one of us. We're all God's servants. All of us belong to you, and you to us, you belong to us, and uh, we're all in the kingdom of God. Listen to what he said, and just this is a review of uh, chapter 3. This is 21. This is going to have to 21 and 22. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So what are you worried about? If that's true, and this is the Word of God, so it is true, you don't have anything to be worried about. You just rest and trust. Let God come through. Let God come through for you. Just trust Him. You know, now sometimes I gotta admit, You know, God seems like he's late sometimes. God seems like maybe he's not listening this time. You just keep trusting. You just keep trusting, okay? Put the full weight of your dependency on Christ. And then be sensitive. Let the Spirit lead you. If he wants you to do something, then he'll lead you to do something. Stay in the word, right? You're here tonight. You're trying to get into the word because he's gonna try to lead you. Right. Um, Then he says, so this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. So if the apostles are to be servants as Christ taught, how much more the disciples whom they have taught, that's us. Right. We're not apostles. The Corinthians were using patron apostles to exalt themselves, perhaps above other believers. There was a competition among those who identified with these leaders, much like college rivalries exist today. There's another source of rivalry, Tech versus Baylor. I'm looking at Jacob because he wears both of them. So sometimes he'll wear that Tech red and sometimes he'll wear that Baylor green and gold. We're trying to win him over, help him to understand. So they had a competition, but it wasn't a college rivalry. It wasn't, you know, teams, sport, you know, team sports and all this other stuff. It was over these teachers, right? So the Apostle Paul says, this is foolish. Then he says, for who sees anything different in you? In other words, Paul might say, one of you is not more important than another since you are equal in Christ. Let's review what it says in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. These are all a part of their culture and their society at the time. But he said, in Christ, you are all one in Jesus Christ. Those differences don't exist. All right. As an old preacher, actually, I've heard more than one preacher say this going all the way back. um, The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Right? So this is not to say that every Christian is identical. We're not all just exactly like each other. There are different gifts and ministries. As a matter of fact, very same book right here. When we get to chapter 12, we're going to see the Apostle Paul break it down in terms of spiritual gifts and how these gifts are given to different folks to build up the body of Christ, right? Um, but he's trying to emphasize that a Christian's religious pedigree does nothing to exalt her or him above another Christian. So you may come from a long line of Christians. Okay? Great-grandpa was a Christian and, you know, grandma was a Christian and mom was a Christian and, you know, so forth. But, again, I'm, I'm doing all these old quotes today. Uh, the old preachers used to say, God ain't got no grandkids. You're either his child or you're not. And you choose that by putting your faith in Jesus, right? So your pedigree is irrelevant. Now that doesn't mean that it might not give you some benefits if you were taught right, if you were raised right, even if you were raised in a somewhat dysfunctional home, if you got the gospel, you got the gospel. Um, I was first, you know, hearing anything about God from my grandma, my mom's mom. But my mom has helped me to understand that, you know, her mom was not always... um, very nice to her. We'll just put it that way. Uh, that uh, things were somewhat dysfunctional in in her home, and uh, but you know, I still, even from my mom's dysfunctional mom, I still benefited. And yeah, so you might come out of a more dysfunctional. Family, again, I've called this whole study that we're in right now in 1 and 2 Corinthians, God's dysfunctional people, right? That's us, that's the Corinthians for sure. But look at what came out of it. Look at this amazing teaching that came out of this as the result of that. So sometimes we can't figure out why so many things are going wrong, right? Why all these difficulties? But God's got a purpose. Doesn't mean he's causing them, but he's got a purpose and he will use everything that is going on in your life, however difficult it seems, for your good and for his glory, right? All things work together for the good of those who love God. Do you love God? Do you love God? So, you know, that was the title of my sermon a couple weeks ago. Do you love Jesus? might not have the overflowing emotion that you'd like to have, But see, as I've tried to help you guys understand in this church many times, love is a commitment. Love is a choice. Do you love Jesus? Are you following His purpose for your life? All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You're not calling Him into your purpose. You're called into His purpose. And His primary purpose is to make you more like Jesus. Now, Some of us are suffering, might have health issues, you might have relationship issues, you might have financial issues. Um, I'm gonna gonna read the next passage, we're not gonna teach it tonight, but I'm gonna read the next passage and it'll kinda give you a, a little foreshadowing for next week, but you're gonna hear in that passage what I want you to know and that is God's people suffer. That's just a part of life. This is a fallen world. And God doesn't save you from all suffering. He saves you from the world. He saves you from hell. He saves you from eternal death and damnation. But suffering is part of what God uses to make you more like Jesus, right? Jesus is called the suffering servant. He was acquainted with grief, wow. So if I'm going to become like Jesus, that doesn't mean that I'm going to get off scot-free from having difficulty. But I overcome. We're more than overcomers, he says. We're more than victorious, right? We're hyper conquerors because of him who loved us. If God is for us, who can possibly stand against us? Now, I'm dancing all around the same passage, so if you want more on this, you want to get into Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to the end of the chapter. In fact, read the whole chapter, chapter t- chapter 8, okay? But 8, 28 to, I think the last verse is 37. Man, just keep reading it. Keep reading it and get it in you. God is for us. Nobody can stand against us. You know, then you have somebody saying something nasty about you online, you're like... You ain't Jesus. You're not my judge. You're not even on the jury, right? So here's this last passage that will help you to understand this. Oh, before I get to that, sorry. I want to hit this last, uh, this last verse because it's really important. What do you have that you did not receive? Oh, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now, you may think of yourself as being quite gifted. Or maybe you think you got shortchanged in that area. I don't know. But everything you have, you've received. Even our natural gifts, we can develop them. So somebody may be uh, naturally athletic. But that doesn't mean they're going to be able to play professional sports. You've still got to really, really work at it. Right? Somebody might be naturally gifted as a musician, but that doesn't mean you don't practice. You know? Um, you play the guitar really well, but it's just going to be a hobby unless you work at it, you do something with it. And then sometimes there are things you don't even know that you would be capable of until you expose yourself to those things. But see, in the end, your ability to learn and to grow, it's received. Everything you have, you've received. So that's why we can't boast about any of it. Now, I have tried to follow a procedure through the majority of my life as a minister that if someone offers a compliment, I don't say, oh, it's nothing. And I, don't, I also don't say, oh, it's all God. It's all God. It's all Jesus. Because I may say a bunch of stuff that, you know, it's what I thought of, and maybe Jesus is going along with it, and, I, you know, I hope it's from him, but I can't guarantee it. Now, I'm going to be a little mean here. I've had people that have written stuff, okay? I've written plays and poems and those sorts of things. And I've had people who have written stuff before, and they're like, read this. This is the Lord. And I read it and I'm like, wow, the Lord is a bad writer. (laughs) Wow. (sighs) Well, I'm sure glad Jesus is my savior because if that's what he wrote, then I'm thinking, I don't know about that. No, so my procedure is always to say, thank you, praise God. Thank you for what you offered me and give your give your praise to the Lord right because what I have I've received whatever it is little or little or large you know I've received that from him what do you have that you haven't received and if you've received it why would you boast as though you came up with it on your own so you you know you can go all the way to the top of the uh, of the apex of the you know the pyramid there when it concerns let's go back to athletics and, and get your Your Kobe Bryants and your LeBron James's and your Michael Jordans and all of this. And and they worked hard, but they are phenomenally gifted people and they did not give that to themselves. I used to tell kids, because I was a youth pastor in the 90s, I used to tell kids all the time you know, you can aspire to be the next Michael Jordan, but the chances are you're not going to be because you just don't have that level of talent. You know, there's just certain people, you know, these, these Olympic athletes, right? So the Olympics are coming up. Um, just tremendously gifted in these specific areas. Again, they have to work very hard in spite of that, but they're just, you know, they're very, very gifted. And those are not gifts that they worked for, they were born with those gifts, right? And as I mentioned before, and as we're gonna see, uh, it'll be some weeks from now before we get there, but we're gonna see that there are spiritual gifts as well. Well, let me conclude by just reading this. Again, I'm not gonna teach this passage, but this is gonna help you understand what I'm talking about when it concerns suffering in Christians. Verse eight, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you are wise. In Christ, we are weak. Oh, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Well, that doesn't sound like something you'd want to aspire to be, right? But you're looking for the reward on the other side. Not what you can get in the here and now. And what you realize is that all of those things that you're going through are what makes you more like Jesus. And that's certainly so when the, uh, going back to Acts once again, when uh, Peter and John are imprisoned and then taken out and told not to teach in the name of Jesus. And they said, we need to obey God rather than men. And so uh, then they're thinking about killing them like they killed Jesus. And then this wise man named Gamaliel, who by the way was Paul's teacher, right? Said, put them out. And then he told them, don't mess with these guys. And then he mentioned a number of other leaders, religious leaders, that had raised up followings and had been killed and eventually their leaders, their followers were dispersed. And he said, That's what's gonna come of this movement, unless it's of God. And then Gamaliel said, You may find yourself fighting against God. And so they listened to Gamaliel, but they brought Peter and John back in, told them not to teach in the name, and then they beat them. Right? And like back then they actually whipped them. Yeah. You know what? Peter and John did as a result of that. Did they cry? Did they whine? Did they tell God, why did you do this to me? I might do that. No. They gloried in the fact that they had the privilege of suffering shame for the name of Jesus. That's where we need to go. All I want to do is represent Jesus. That's what I want to do. And if people don't like that, they don't like Jesus. Jesus will still love them, so I need to still love them. But that's the kind of people we need to be. And unfortunately, that's just, in our hyper-politicized, divided era, that's not what we're seeing. But if you want to see a change in our world, that's the way we need to be. We need to start following that Jesus, acting like that Jesus, and shine in the light. Amen.